Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, it's good to see you, Grace Fellowship. We're glad you're here this morning. And uh, it is Youth Sunday. I don't know if you picked up on that a little bit or not, but we had some students leading us in worship today. Uh, Anna Lee is reading scripture in this service. And so we're so thankful for our students being able to engage with us and, and lead us in that. Uh, so thanks for being here on a cold and rainy day outside. We're glad to have you with us. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be there in just a few moments. Uh, but before we do that, I'll ask you this question. Uh, have you ever noticed how easy it is to give someone good news. Like you've got something great that you want to share with somebody. It's easy to say, hey, guess what? My kid got all A's on their grade card this semester. It's a different story if they got all F's on their grade card. You're not telling everybody that. You're not broadcasting. But my kid did great on his grades this semester. Hey, uh, the favorite place that I have to shop and where I get my clothes, where I get my stuff, they're having a huge sale. You should go check it out. You're going to love this place. You got to go see it. You got to go check it out, right? And so you're grateful to be able to tell somebody about that. Uh, hey, the Vols are good at football again, right? Woohoo! All right. I knew that would be the only thing that got people excited this morning, so I threw it in there. But we're good at football again. Like, let's tell people. Let's celebrate. It's something good that's taking place, okay? You've got some good news that you want to share. Uh, Chick-fil-A reopened this week. Woohoo! Right? Like, it's open. Pals, down the street, it's open. Like, you're telling people, have you been? Have you gone? Did you do it yet? It's like, they built this new place, and it didn't solve any problems. It's all still so much traffic out there. And so that's the bad part of the news. But the good news is you can get Chick-fil-A again. So there you go, right? It's easy to tell people good news. We like to do that. We want to be a part of that. In fact, when you look at scripture, the word gospel means good news. Like that is what the good news is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that God sent his son to earth to save us, to redeem us from our sins, to give us hope. And that we want to be the kind of people who share that message with others. That we should essentially think when we talk about good news that there is something good to share about Jesus and about our faith. And so that's a huge thing for us. We have good news. Are we sharing it? Uh, I can remember back during the pandemic, uh, in the heart of all of that, early March, April, May, when all of that was really kind of coming down and we were all in lockdown and the whole world was shut down and, and everything was bad news, remember? It was just negativity and crisis and nobody knows what to do and we're all scared and everything is crazy. And then all of a sudden, a man named John Krasinski started something on YouTube called Some Good News. Anybody catch this? When you're home on lockdown, I loved this. If you didn't see it, you need to go back home, YouTube it. It's from like three years ago now, but find it on YouTube and watch the episodes. Here's what happened. Once a week, he would release this new video called Some Good News. And all he did was share about the kindness that was taking place in humanity, the good things that were happening around the world, the way that people were sharing with each other, the things that they were doing to encourage and support one another. And it was awesome. Every single time one of those things came out, I would stop what we were doing. My kids were home doing homeschool stuff and all the things that everybody was doing at that point in time. And to be like, everybody, stop what you're doing. There's a new video. Let's get together and watch it. And we would sit down and watch some good news. We all benefited from some good news. In every episode, you're laughing, and then you found yourself crying because of the good that was going on all around the world that was getting highlighted. And you're like, it's not over. Life is not going to end this way. Like, it's good. There's still goodness out there. 
And for us, when we think about this whole thing as followers of Jesus, this month we've been talking about what it's like to take the gospel out to the nations, to share good news with people, to help us. We've been trying as a church to figure out what's our role, what's your role as an individual, what's our role as a church to be involved in taking the good news of Jesus out to the world. That's what he's called us to. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. Baptize people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. Jesus goes, and I'm going to be with you in the middle of all of that. But go, go take the good news out. And so that's our responsibility and our calling. And so this morning, as we think about this, we don't have to necessarily go thousands of miles from home in order to accomplish the call of Jesus on our life. And I know sometimes when we talk about God's global mission, we might think, well, I have to, to be involved in God's global mission, I have to go globally somewhere else and live. You don't have to go thousands of miles away from home. In fact, you hit the mission field the moment you walk out these doors and go back into our community. This is where Jesus has planted most of us and said, this is your region, this is your space, this is your place that you're going to be on mission for me. And maybe some of you will go internationally, and maybe some of you will go long-term, maybe some of you will go short-term. But for all of us, we're on mission, and we find our role. What does it mean for Jesus to call us to be a part of what he's doing here? So I want to share some different calls to action with us this morning that we can take as we prayerfully understand and determine what God's next role for us in our lives and as a church is in global mission. So if you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 13, and I want us to read these first three verses together. In Acts chapter 13, it says this, Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So when we read that, Antioch, if you're thinking about where this is in the world, Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time of Barnabas and Saul. It's a huge place. It's in what we would now know as modern-day Turkey, southern Turkey on the Mediterranean Sea. At this time, it was a part of Syria, but now it's a part of modern-day Turkey. And so as the church was here, the reason that a lot of people had migrated to and become immigrants here in this area, this part of the world, in, uh, in Antioch, was because of the persecution that had broken out in Jerusalem. When Stephen, after Pentecost, got up and preached to the people and was stoned to death, you remember who was there? Saul was there giving approval to his murder, and Saul was ransacking the church and trying to destroy the church at that time. And so the whole church is spread out over the known world. And as the church is spread out, it's known as the diaspora. As the church is spread out, a lot of people end up in Antioch. And so there's these people who are living in Antioch. They know the command that Jesus left them to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus. And so they're gathered together in the church and they're praying and they're fasting and they're seeking God and his desires for what they would do as a church. It looks a lot like what we've been doing over the last 20 plus days as a church. To go, we want to gather and we want to come together on Wednesdays and we want to be in consolidated prayer and fasting with each other, asking God, what's next for us? What's next for me? What are you calling us to do? What are you calling me to do? And so as the church is doing that, they're praying and these Christians know this command to go to the world. In fact, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Saul, the same guy who was giving approval to Stephen's murder in Acts chapter 7, is now with the church because Jesus has transformed his life. And in Acts chapter 13, God's going, I want you to send Barnabas and Saul, and they're going to go on mission for me. They're going to take a missionary journey that's going to help take this out to the world. And here's what we see. Again, I want you to notice this, and I know this is the third time I've said it, but I want us to catch this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Like church, here's what I want us to see this morning. If you're taking notes, if you want to follow along on our app, you can get this. As a church, if we want to hear from God, times of consistent prayer and fasting and worship are vital. It's vital for us as a church, to say, if I want to clearly hear from God about the next steps that he wants me to take, this can't just be something I randomly, periodically do. It's got to be consistent times of worship and fasting. I had a chance to talk to a guy this week, and multiple times as I talked to him, he's a pastor in India, and uh, you'll hear more about his story in the next several weeks, I'm sure. But, uh, but there have been multiple times in the last couple of, of days as I've been talking with him that he says, I'm going to pray and fast for you. I'm going to be praying and fasting for your church. He's praying for us. He's fasting for us because we've been talking about ministry opportunities. And so he's going, I'm going to be praying and fasting for you. And I was like, that's super dangerous. I don't even know if I want you to do that or not. Right? Like, but he's going, I'm going to spend a day praying and fasting for you, and I'm going to spend a day praying and fasting for your church. And so this is a consistent part of what we want to do if we want to hear from God. And I think when you read your Bible, you'll agree that there are lots of times in the Old and the New Testament that we see the followers of Jesus spending time in prayer and fasting for a lot of different reasons. Various causes that they're coming to God for, but we see this all the time. And yet, even though we read it in the Bible over and over and over again that the church prayed and fasted, the people of God prayed and fasted, somehow as Westerners, we've kind of gone, well, that was nice for them, but I don't think that's for me. Like, give up food? Are you serious? Like, we don't need to do that. Food is good, and it's readily available at all times. And so why would I fast? Why would I give that up? Why would I do that? And so somewhere along the way, we've decided, well, that's not really a practice for me. It's not really a practice for us, but it is. It's God's call on us. And I think for us to understand why this is true, we need to see some things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 18, Jesus said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show everyone they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. So the first thing we see here is we've got some people who are going, I'm fasting, but I'm going to make sure you know I'm fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. Like they disfigure their faces and show how disgruntled they are over their fasting. It's all just misery for them and going, and God goes, hey, I've seen them and the hypocrisy of that, and they got their reward. What's their reward? publicly, people have gone, oh, look how spiritual they are. They're fasting. Whoa, like that's incredible. Look how great that is. And God goes, yeah, they got their reward because people recognized what they were doing. He goes, here's the opposite end of the spectrum. But you, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right now, notice a couple of things here. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus, not once but twice, says to his disciples, when you fast. There's an expectation in this from Jesus. Not, hey, if you guys feel like it, if it kind of becomes a thing that happens, but he goes, when you fast, it's expected. When you do this, when you fast, when you fast. And then he says, and I want you, when you fast, to take care of yourself. 
For them, it was wash your face, put oil on your head, like refresh yourself, be engaged. Only let this be done that God, your Father in heaven, knows what you're doing, and you're doing it for his glory, not for the visibility of others. Like, take this as a responsibility for you growing in your relationship with God to seek after him. But the second thing that I want you to see here is a different perspective. In our minds and hearts, we need to move fasting from being a burden to being a blessing. That we go, this isn't a burden for me, this is a blessing for me. If you're taking notes, write this down. It needs to stop being a requirement, and we need to see it as a reward. And if you notice what Jesus was saying here, maybe we have a hard time with this idea of going, do I, am I supposed to do things to get reward from God? Like, is that the right motivation? But Jesus tells us in, verse, uh, in, in Matthew, he says, when your father sees what is done in secret, he will what? Reward you. And so as we take this and we go, man, this is not just about me doing something out of, out of difficulty and out of obligation, but I'm doing this because I desire to do it. I want to be close to God and there's reward for me in it. I'm going to hear from my father. I'm going to be drawn close to him. I'm going to be in nearness to him, right? So Jesus told us when we fast, we get reward from that. So here's our first action step is we're thinking about these things from a church. Again, if you're taking notes, I want you to get this. Don't let fasting be something that you avoid or that you only do when prompted by church leadership. Make fasting a normal rhythm of your life. Let fasting become something that you do consistently, normally. It's a rhythm for you. Right? That you go, I'm, I'm spending time in relationship with God. I'm drawing near to him. He's changing me through this. I'm hearing more clearly from him. Did we notice what was said with the church in Antioch? That as they prayed and they fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke. Right? As they worshiped and fasted, the Spirit of God said, set apart Barnabas and Saul and send them out to do the work that I've appointed for them. If we will fast and if we will pray and if we will worship, we will more adequately and accurately and more consistently hear from God. I believe that that's scriptural. And so we're commanded in those things. So when we think about this, we go, okay, well, what do we mean in that? When should I fast? Well, is your marriage struggling? Fast and pray. Are you facing a major decision in life? fast and pray. Has something come up that's in opposition to you that you don't know how to handle? Fast and pray. Is it Monday, the worst day of the week? Fast and pray, right? Like find your rhythm, but ask God when you find difficult areas of life, when you want to be in a place where you're hearing from him, if you're seeking his direction for things, fast and pray. Worship him. And then I believe you'll hear more clearly from God. Chris Hodges said this, fasting is like turning the volume knob down on our flesh and turning it up in the spirit. We gain authority, clarity, and closeness with God. This is the result of fasting and praying. The reward ultimately is God himself. That we go, What's, what do I gain from this? What is God going to give me? He's going to give you himself. He's going to draw you in and he's going to speak to you and he's going to share with you and he's going to reveal to you in your heart and that still small voice of the Holy Spirit will be guiding you and prompting you. And so we listen to God in these ways. Now, I want us to go back to Acts chapter 13 and spend just a few more minutes there. And here's what I want us to do. We're going to read between the lines a little bit in this passage. And I'm going to need some audience participation from you in just a moment, okay? So everybody's going to have to wake up just a little bit. I know it's cold. I know it's rainy. I know this is the first service of the day. And so you're going to have to be available to participate with me and give me some feedback. Can we do that? Yes. 
Great. I'm so glad. Here we go. So we're going to read between the lines here because I want you guys to yell out some answers to me when I ask the question in a minute. We're in Antioch, a local church, and they've determined, they've heard from God, send Saul and Barnabas out. I've got a mission for them. I've got work for them to do. And I started thinking, you know what? When they've been praying and fasting, they've laid their hands on them and then they sent them off. And when I read this passage, and if you're like me, and I'll tell you, I just read it over and over and over again throughout my life. And it says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and they sent them off. End of story. Antioch church, no longer engaged. Paul and Silas going, or Paul and Barnabas going a different direction. And now they're there over there and Antioch's over here. And that was the end of the story. They laid hands on them and they said, be gone with you, right? I think that there was more involvement of the church in Antioch. And this week I started thinking, what if this was us? What if somebody came to us and said, hey, my wife and I feel called by God to go to the mission field. We're going to be overseas somewhere, and we want you as a church to support us. What would it look like for us to go, great, we're going to have a Sunday morning right before you leave that we lay hands on you and pray for you, and then we send you off, and we don't want anything to do with you ever again after that. Good luck. Do you think that's what the church in Antioch did? No. No. What kinds of things, this is audience participation, what kinds of things might the church in Antioch have done for Saul and Barnabas after they get sent out? What's going on or during that period of time? Continue to pray for them. It was just a one-time prayer for them at the church service. They sent them out and they continue to pray for them. What else? Financial support. support. Fantastic. They're going to have to go for a period of time. There's a long journey that's ahead of them. They're going to need some funds and resources. They sent them out with financial support. Somebody back here said something. Letters, absolutely. Encouragement, right? Like, hey, here's some letters we're sending with you. If you ever have a moment where you're down and depressed and you don't feel like God's doing what he said he was going to do, pull open these letters and read them and know we're with you. We're praying for you and we are here and we're supporting you. We're not in the space with you, but we are there with you, right? Support, encouragement. What else? Anything else? What? Care packages. Yeah, maybe there was mail back then and they sent it somewhere else. They're like, when you get to wherever you're going, when you get to that city, there's going to be a care package waiting for you there. Like, that's incredible. Awesome. Fantastic. Anything else? What else can we come up with? Man, fantastic. They're going to come home, right? They're going to need a place to rest when they get back. Have, they will have been going and serving and on mission. And who knows what kind of stuff they're going to run into? Who knows what kind of challenges they're going to hit? Who knows what kind of difficulties? And when they come home, they're going to need safe harbor. Hey, you guys have been on the front lines on behalf of us. Now that you're home, rest and let us take care of you. Let us provide a space for you. My home is open for you. Maybe you had to sell your house because you were going to be gone for months or years. And so when you're back here, you're going to need a place and my place is open to you. I'm going to give you rest. Like all of these things that's not specifically laid out for us in Acts chapter 13, but that I can almost guarantee you as you read between the lines took place. That they didn't just say, now off with you. We'll see you in a year, right? They're going, we're going to pray for you. We're going to give to support your trip. There's going to be care packages in different places that you get. Here's letters of encouragement. When you come home, you've got a place to be. My home is going to be open for you. We're going to take care of you. Here's a spa day. It's going to be awesome. Like you're back on the Mediterranean Sea. There had to be spas there, right? So we are going to take care of your needs and give you rest. The church is involved in the global mission. Two people went, but the whole church was involved. And so for us, as we think about these things, the reality of the church is that all of us are called to be a part of God's global mission. Some of you may be called to go. Some of you may be called to pray. 
Some of you may be called to give. Some of you may be called to encourage. There's so many different ways that you can be involved in a part of God's global mission. And so here's where I want us to get just some action steps this morning. Throughout this month, we've been talking about a lot of different things for how we can be involved in God's global mission. Action step number one back there that we just talked about a moment ago uh, was that we want to be praying and fasting and listening to the voice of God. Action step number two, this morning when you came in, you should have gotten a card that looks like this. I want you to pick this up with me. This is, again, some audience participation, except you don't have to talk this time. You're just going to have to read a little bit. And here's what I want you to see. There are so many different ways. We even alphabetize them for you. So if you're OCD, you're excited that you can get involved in God's global mission, right? And I'm not going to read these all off to you, but I want to talk about a few of these things. Maybe you can adopt something. That you, I want to adopt an unreached people group, a country, a missionary who's serving somewhere, and I'm going to be in support of them. I'm going to adopt what they're doing, and I'm going to be engaged with them to pray, to serve, to give, to go with them. Maybe you could advocate that you're going to promote something. Some of you love ministries like Compassion International or something like that, that you go, I want to advocate for them because they're doing a great work. Uh, The youth group, when I was in Arkansas that I led, we got engaged with an organization called Cure International. And Cure was doing um, uh, surgeries in in third world countries for things like hydrocephalus and cleft lip, cleft palate and and club foot and all kinds of different things. And, And we would support and advocate for them and financially give to them and they would provide surgeries for kids. So you might be an advocate. You might be someone who just encourages, write letters, emails to missionaries, invite others in your circle to influence you. Uh, equip. Start participating in some Bible studies that you're going to be able to equip others and be equipped yourself to go, if I don't know about some things happening in the world in global missions, find out. What can you do to grow in knowledge this year to be equipped? And then how can you take that equipping that you gain and equip others? Then on the backside of your car, be someone who gives. Support global missions financially. That you go, God has given me resources and blessings and financial gifts, and I want to turn around and I want to give those back to somebody else, and I want to encourage others that way. You can be a person who goes, that you're going to say, God's called me, either for a short period of time or a long period of time, to go on mission. Maybe it's somewhere local, maybe it's somewhere regional, maybe it's somewhere national, maybe it's somewhere international, but God's going to send you, and you're going to respond to his call to go. Then learn. Again, that you take the opportunities to to find ways to be engaged and involved, to say, I don't know a lot right now about what this looks like, but I'm willing to learn about it. I want to take on some things. Uh, YouTube can be a great source of just learning and engagement. It's free for you to check some things out. This week, uh, I had the desire to learn about, uh, excuse me, about uh, Dr. Livingston. Remember this thing? Dr. Livingston, I presume. The first guy that went from Europe into the dark parts of Africa and, and discovered, the first European that discovered Victoria Falls in, in Zimbabwe and in Zambia and was up in that region. And so, like, I'm just learning a little bit about who was Dr. Livingston? How did he go? Did you guys know he spoke, like, five different languages? Like, the guy was incredible. Just a linguist, and he, he took what he knew, and he went to the world. And so I'm, I'm learning about this stuff. It's an opportunity to learn. Then pray and send as you do, that we pray for people, and then we say, as I'm praying for you, I'm also going to be a part of sending you. And as you, you're the one who's going, but you can guarantee that I am with you in spirit and that my prayers are going to be with you constantly. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we brought Allison Faye on stage with us. She was going with her grandmother to Thailand uh, for her first international mission trip. She's a teenager. Uh, she's flying home today. She and her grandmother are flying home today. So be praying for them. 
just for safety and travel. She's had an incredible time. We've been able to stay in touch with her throughout this trip. It's, it's an awesome thing. Uh, we've got another student in, a, in not too long from now. It's going to be going to Romania. We'll be bringing some more attention to that, just talking about some of those kinds of things and going, how do we, we're not going, they are, but how do we pray? How do we support? And then finally, welcome them home. That was a great suggestion earlier to go. When they come home, they're going to be tired. How do we welcome them back? And how do we give them a place of rest and reprieve from the things that they've experienced and done? And so let's be the kind of church that says all along the way, we want to be involved in this. So the question as you look at this card is, what's my next step of being involved in a part of God's global mission? You're not going to do all 10 or 11 or how many things on this card, but what's your one or two next steps that you're going to take to be involved in God's global mission. And that brings us to the next action step. If you have your global mission book with you from JTERM, you can grab that. Or if you did not get one yet, there are still some out in the gathering area, I believe, on your way out. But if yours is at home, here's what you need to know. On the last few pages of this book, there are, again, great resources, things that will point you to places that you can go, God, what do you want me to do? about learning, about growing, about, about being someone who gives, about how do I do those things? Where do I get involved? There's great information here and resources here about ways that you can engage with unreached people groups, how you can do in-depth mission Bible studies, how you can develop a missions worldview, books that you can read, websites you can check out, organizations you can partner with. So many great resources here that we've provided for you. My encouragement for you would just be to spend some time, look through some of these things and go, God, teach me and instruct me and show me what I'm supposed to know here and what my next step is to be engaged and involved in your global mission around the world. That's huge. That you're willing to engage in those things and take a look at them. And then action step number four. Maybe you're someone who can go on a short-term mission trip. This year, we're going to have several ways for you to engage in that. Uh, some things close by, some things overseas, uh, but we would love for you to be a part of those trips. That you would say, God, I've never done this before. It scares me a little bit. I'm a little bit freaked out by the, even the idea of going. But step of faith, God, here I am. If you call me, and by the way, he has, Matthew 28, go into all the world, this isn't something you have to pray that hard about. He told you to do it. So God, because you've called me, there's an opportunity, and I want to go. Maybe you can go to El Salvador with Global Health Outreach. I had an opportunity to do a GHO trip a few years ago to Nicaragua. It's an incredible opportunity. You don't have to have medical skills and abilities. I certainly don't. But I went with this Global Health Outreach mission trip to Nicaragua. Our church will be engaging with El Salvador this year, would love for you to be praying about your involvement in that. A couple of weeks ago, we heard, or actually last week, we heard about concerned Christians for Afghanistan. Uh, this is a trip to Ridgecrest, North Carolina, just, just across the border of our state, to go, and for a week, to go and minister to Afghan missionaries and Afghan refugees. And as we go and serve them and do a lot of childcare and VBS type things for their kids, the adults get to go and enjoy being refreshed and ministered to at a conference. And so we're going to have people from our church that are going to Ridgecrest. Be a part of that. Then there's a place in Clarkston, Georgia, just a few hours from here. This is a three-night trip designed to expose you to multicultural living and communities and be trained on how you can engage with other cultures and other people groups. Incredible opportunity. God is bringing the nations to us. These are refugees 
that have settled in Clarkston, Georgia. There are over 60 different groups of people that are in these refugee camps in Clarkston. And so for you to get involved in those things, find your way that you would get involved. Then uh, action step number five is just pray for unreached people around the world. And here's what we want to encourage you to do. And I know I'm giving you just a lot of next steps today, but we're calling you to action. We want you to be engaged in the next thing. And so as you leave today in the hallway at this entry or this exit as you go out and down the hall as you go out those doors, there are cards on the divider walls that are unreached people and unreached people groups in different parts of the world. We just want you to take one of those cards, take it home with you, put it on the dash of your car, put it on the, uh, the mirror in your bathroom, put it on your kitchen refrigerator, wherever it is that you're going to see it consistently. And when you see that card, be praying for God to reach those people, that God would send missionaries to those places, that God would reveal himself in dreams and visions to people in those places, and that the gospel of Jesus, the good news that we have access to, would reach them, and that they would be changed by his power. And then our final action step. God may be calling some of you from this place to go and be full-time missionaries. It is not outside of the realm of possibility that right now or in the very near future, God's going to be tugging at your heart. The Spirit of God is going to be working in you and saying, I don't want you to stay in Kingsport, Tennessee. I want you to go somewhere else in the world and plant your life, and you're going to live and serve there. And so be praying about that. After this service, my understanding is that John and Bethany Luffy, who have been missionaries overseas, they're going to be at a table out in the gathering area, and you can stop by and you can talk to them. And ask them what it looks like for you to be answering God's call or hearing God's call to go and to serve him in global missions and to give your life for that. We have other people in our church that have lived overseas, that have grown up in that mission environment, and that are back here in the States now. They would be happy to talk to you about what it looks like to go and plant your life in another culture and to say, God, I want you to use me, and I want you to put me wherever you want me for the greatest of your glory and for your gospel to spread. And then I want us to close this morning looking at two passages of Scripture quickly. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 7. It was read for us at the very beginning of the message this morning. And we're kind of coming full circle here because this is where we started a month ago. At the beginning of January, we started with these verses. And here's what we read. And after this, I looked. This is John. He's having his vision from God, the revelation of, of what God is doing in the world and in eternity. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you go, why are we looking at this verse? Because Jesus allows us to see a picture of the future. He gives us a window into the future. And he says, that thing that I called you to, to go to all the nations, it's not just something that I was challenging you with, but wasn't going to be fulfilled. I want you to see now that the vision is going to be fulfilled and that people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, all people groups will be with us in heaven. We have a call to a winning strategy. God is accomplishing his purposes in reaching the world with the gospel. Our purpose is to get engaged and involved with the call. So what's your next step? And then we read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, 
Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the question that we ask so often, well, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? What is he waiting on? He's going, the whole world hasn't heard yet. There are still places in the world that have not heard. And I want the gospel to go to everyone. It doesn't mean that every person on earth is going to get saved, but someone from every people, tribe, language, and nation and tongue will hear about me and receive me. And one of the incredible things about that is, is that in so many ways, God is bringing the nations to us. We talked about Clarkston, Georgia just a few minutes ago, but our nation is a place that refugees are seeking to come to and find asylum and to find hope. And I know sometimes when we watch the news at night and we see the things and we go, man, they're crossing our borders illegally and they're coming in and doing all these things. And I want you to know from the very outset that I am all for legal immigration and coming in in that way. But guess what? It is not our responsibility as Christians to enforce laws. It is our responsibility as Christians to minister to people when they come, no matter if they're coming legally or illegally. We have a privilege and a responsibility and an obligation. And so when I who don't live in a border community or a border town. I'm not in the south of Florida. I'm not in Texas. I'm not in Arizona, New Mexico. I'm not in Southern California. But when I hear about the refugees that are coming across our borders and pouring in and all these different things and there's stuff on the news, guess what? I don't go, God, how terrible of this. We've got to get better, stronger security policies and more walls and better built border alignment and all these things. I go, God, my responsibility is to pray. And I start praying for the church in those places. God let Christians who are living there know how to carry your gospel of hope to people who are coming into our country and to share the love of Jesus no matter what. And then we'll let the laws take care of themselves. But let's be people who show Jesus' love. And let's be people who express the kindness of God. Because the nations are coming to us. What are we going to do with that? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.